This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is delighted to feature author Stephanie Burgess. Stephanie writes historical fantasy for a variety of age ranges and includes a pleasantly diverse range of representation. I invited her onto the show to talk about the newest book in her Harwood Spellbook Regency fantasy series, Moontangled, which features a female couple. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm always glad to talk with another author of Regency Fantasy because, as you know, I write it myself. But you take an interesting angle on the historic setting in your series. It isn't simply the default Regency period with some magic added. You did some deep tweaking of British history to do some gender flipping in the social structure. So maybe we could start by having you tell our listeners a little about that to give them the background to your series before we talk about the specific books. Absolutely. So the world of the Harwood Spellbook is one that deviated from our history a long, long, long time ago when Boudicca first fought the Romans, because in my version of the world, (laughs) her second husband was a magician, and together they managed to kick the Romans out, at which point the division seemed obvious. (laughs) So the government of England, rather than England, is ruled by a boudicate of female leaders, being naturally more hard-headed, practical, sensible people, uh, while the men being more emotional and irrational and more suited to this sort of thing, take care of the magic. (laughs) And ever since then, all these many centuries, that's been a line in the sand. But of course, anytime you put a line in the sand, someone's going to want to push past it. And finally, in my analog of the Regency era, we found a heroine who was from a powerful enough political family that that when she got them on side, they were able to push her through and become the first uh, female magician in England, which just starts a whole new (laughs) circus of distress among traditionalists on both sides. Yeah, I I enjoyed how the, the gender flipping came out in subtle ways. Because, and I, you know, I'm sure this is just part of the sort of the aesthetic choice of this series that, you know, things like, you know, clothing and social customs, having balls and whatnot um, is, is as expected because that's what makes it a Regency setting. But then things like mm-hmm. the question of, you know, who compromises whom if two young people are found <laughs> uh, having personal displays of affection together. And it's just, it's very subtle in some ways. But you made some interesting choices in your world building around the diversity of characters. Britain still seems to have had something resembling a colonial empire, or at least it has the demographic effects of having had one, where people come from specific parts of the world that in our world are parts of the empire. Yes, and actually, it's, it's I would just interject that... There's a very realistic amount of diversity, ethnic diversity, but a lot of it comes from different reasons as uh, England has actually done more partnership building among other cultures. 
and has actually encouraged immigration in that way Mm -hmm. with some of what are referred to. I'm trying to remember if I talk about the African empires. It's certainly there's the Marathan Empire, which is where the love interest in the main body of the Mm -hmm. series, where his uh, parent, one of his parents came from. Uh And and you you maintain some of the dynamics by retaining class prejudices. So, you know, the question Mm -hmm. of of somebody's somebody's status, somebody's family money, whatever, uh, then performs the dynamics that racial prejudice might have performed in the Regency. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it was really interesting to think through all those little details and think, well, how could it be different? And, you know, what's plausible and, and play with all those elements? So when you rearrange gender roles, uh, relevant to the uh, topic of my podcast, you've set up a structure where the social pressures against same-sex relationships are more of a practical matter because you have this very strong gender binary in the in the power structures, but there is no Absolutely. prejudice about sexuality itself. So my question is, wh- what made you decide to take that particular path? And were there ever any plot points where you suddenly realized, it's like, oh my gosh, this problem doesn't make sense the way I've set things up because I eliminated that problem. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say I ran into that mostly because I designed everything in a way that let me have the most fun. It's a very (laughs) selfish way of writing. Oh, oh no, I think it's the only way. (laughs) Yeah, so that's also sort of the answer to that question because, well, I mean, to start out with completely selfishly, you know, I'm bi. I'm always looking for more FF romance. And it didn't make sense to me not to have FF couples in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I introduced my main FF couple. It's uh, Miss Banks and Miss Fennel uh, in book one, Snowspelled, as side characters. And actually, that was very much tied in with the plot issues because in that book, Cassandra Harwood is coming to realize that she's, of course, not the only woman who wants to study magic and has been held back. She was very lucky to be the exception. But now what can she do to, you know, pay it forward and help Uh other women? Um, But in fact, it plays right into that gender binary um, because women, although it's perfectly acceptable (laughs) for them to have fun and have affairs with other women or even marry other women if they're not politically ambitious if they want to go any further and really reach the highest political echelons they are in every member of the ruling boudicat is expected to have a practicing magician as their spouse mm-hmm. it's it's a mimicking that original partnership between boudicat and her second mm-hmm. husband and so what about two women who want to get married and this couple has figured out uh, now that there has been one woman magician, mm-hmm. what if uh, a would-be member of the Boudicat married a fellow mag- magician and thus fulfilled the official requirements, <laughs> but that trained magician could be a woman. And that's what really springboards the rest of, you know, of the whole world building and the plot for this series because it inspires Cassandra to take all this knowledge that she's been lucky enough to gain and to 
to start paying it for and create a magic school of her own for young women. She was the one exception who managed to get into the great library of Trinovantium, which is where all the male magicians, it's, it's like Oxford, yeah. you know, <laughs> but with magic. And they, she was the one lucky exception to get in, but then they didn't let anyone else in after her and everyone wanted to pretend that never happened. So she's now setting, she's now act trying to make structural change. And it's very much inspired by coming into contact with this female couple and realizing how much benefit it would, it would have for so many people if she could pass on some of her knowledge. Yeah. I, and I, I loved that you set up the female couple f- from the very first in the series. It's, it, it felt a lot more promising than these series where, you know, people tell you, it's like, oh yeah, eventually I'm going to get a female same sex couple involved, but, but you got to wait. And it's like, <laughs> no, I don't want to wait. I don't want to invest myself in books and books that don't talk about them. <laughs> So I really, I really appreciated that. Oh, well, you know, it's more fun for me that way. But also, you know, the really nice thing is every time I have, well, from the very beginning, when I started writing this build, as soon as we met Miss Banks and Miss Fennel, I thought, oh, they're fun. You know, I want to do more with them. I want to see more of their story. Mm-hmm. And I was busy first already finishing up the first arc of the first story that I was writing because I'm a very organic writer. I don't know ahead of time necessarily what I'm doing but you know I started with Cassandra I wanted to tell her story I wanted to bring it to a good stopping place you know before I went on and the thing is because I had it in the back of my head I was always thinking "Ooh, when's the right time to tell Miss Banks Miss Fennel's story when is it going to feel like the right moment for that I want to I wanted to bring them to a crisis moment Mm. and it turned out to come right after the end of book two Thornbound because Without getting too spoilerific, uh, <laughs> there's a bit of a crisis for everybody <laughs> in the climax of that book, which affects this fennel very strongly, and it affects their relationship. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I never wanted it to be in any doubt that they're going to be fine, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I actually, <laughs> I think I wrote an afterword in, in to Thornbound where I specifically said, don't worry. <laughs> They're going to be fine, but you can read all about it in Rintangle, the next yes. story. Because I wanted, this is supposed to be a comforting series. I wrote it as a series of escapist, comforting reads for me, and I wanted it to function that way for other people. And I didn't want there to be any doubt that this lovely functioning couple we've seen until now is going to get a happy ending. Uh-huh. But I was always waiting and waiting to get to do that. And the best thing is, every time I've asked my newsletter subscribers, ever since the first book, Snowspell, came out, uh, who would you like me to write a tie-in short story about? Because that's something I do quite often for all of my uh-huh. series. I'm like, it's just so I'm just curious, you know, who, do you, who would be fun to see more of? And overwhelmingly, I get Miss Fennel and Miss Banks. <laughs> so that was a wonderful kind of um, affirmation. But, but, that it, that but Mooncangle isn't a, it. it's not a short story. It's going to be, what, a, a novella or? A novella. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, most of your books are relatively short in the in the scope of the lengths of, of fantasy novels so it's it's very easy <laughs> to, to to gobble them up in a single bite each that's exactly what i'm aiming for <laughs> now would you describe the harwood spellbook series as young adult i know that you know people toss that around whether it's a marketing term whether it's a you know a content-based term uh they feel uh, what I would call young adult friendly, as in people who like young adult literature will enjoy them. 
what what do you call them? I think they're crossover. Uh-huh. I would call them crossover books, YA adults, um, because the characters are all firmly in the adult range. Uh, you couldn't publish a YA novel with characters as old as uh-huh. my protagonists. Uh, I'm okay. I just <laughs> I just shoot a blanket statement that isn't completely true. But as most of my protagonists, uh-huh. and most of my protagonists are too old for the YA label. Um, I, I've been very cautious as I've written because I'm also a uh, middle grade author mm-hmm. and I'm, I made the decision when my first adult book Masks and Shadows was published that I wasn't going to publish under different names uh-huh. which has led to having to be just a little bit more deliberate about what I'm going to include in my adult books uh-huh. just because I know you know, there may be people picking it up who are not yet adults or, or their parents who are quite often more important gatekeepers Yeah, <laughs> and we're more worried about upsetting. So, you know, that's why, of course, you know, this is a perfect solution because I have had romance readers, um, have been generally really lovely about not minding that I don't have any explicit sex scenes in my adult fantasy romances. Mm-hmm. But I've still had uh, people, adults, who enjoyed my middle grade books being really I, distressed <laughs> that there was implied sex in those books. So well, there's you certainly, may never please everybody, but uh, I try to be a little cautious, and my caution level is probably hitting an upper YA level uh, when it comes to explicit sex and so on. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of physicality without... You know, yes, on page sex acts, as it were. But you've got exactly. the, the younger series, the, the Cat Incorrigible series, which is also Regency <laughs> fantasy, but is a different setting. It's a different world, as I. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, that's more sort of secret history. <laughs> yeah. And, and that one is clearly set at a younger level. The character, when we first meet her, is, uh, I guess, preteen. Um, but then she That's grows right, through the series. The so would you call that, uh, I mean, is that whole series YA, or is are, is everything you write just sort of this this vague, messy mishmash of it all depends? <laughs> well, I would call the Cat Incorrigible trilogy of books middle grade, actually, which uh, is even okay. younger than YA. Yeah. And that's the same age group as my Dragon with the Chocolate Heart books fit into. Yeah. However, what gets wishy-washy and nebulous with the cat books is that I wrote a follow-up novella about cat when she's 18 and she has a social uh, social debut and and um that one I would call a YA uh-huh yeah I, I think I was thinking of that one in that you know cat goes through this whole uh, you know sequence of experiences at different ages all the way from you know ooh boys are icky to you know her debut. <laughs> yes absolutely and in fact and I, I was mentioning earlier that I write these tie-in stories for my series, and I send them out to my newsletter in my newsletters. And what several times when I've given people the opportunity to choose who I should write about next, it's been oh, write about Cat, you know, when she's um, an adult and has kids of her own and things <laughs> like that. So I ended up writing stories aimed at different age ranges, even though they're all about this one character, you know, who, who because. People want to know, well, how does she, you know, after <laughs> she put her very proper, very rigid stepmother through conniptions, yes. <laughs> how does she deal with her own kids and so on? And it's been fun to get to return 
to those characters again and again. Yeah, th- that series feels much more, I would say, Austin-esque to me, where you're uh, taking very much reflection of, you know, not not even so much the 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 modern Regency romance genre, but much more the the setting of Jane Austen and adding magic in. And then, as you say, it's sort of a secret history. Magic is the secret feminine skill. And I have lately been having some some thinky thoughts about the ways in which magic is gendered in Regency fantasy. Mm. And I suspect you have some ideas of your own on that. (laughs) I do. Yes. Well, in the the cat books, um, you're quite right about how Austin-esque they are. And I wrote them as a deliberate tribute. Um, Cat is the daughter of a vicar who takes in students in his house. And Jane Austen was the daughter of a vicar who took in students in his house. Uh, yeah, so on, Jane Austen's father was known as the handsome fellow, uh, you know, his fellow of the college, you know, before he got married. And Kat is horrified to realize in book two that her father was like the romantic um, crush of her, you know, the adult who's most opposed to Kat, you know, in the uh, magical order she's joined. You know, it's completely humiliating to realize this sort of thing about your parents. So... But, you know, so I, I based a lot of it very directly on Jane Austen circumstance. And it's also one of the reasons why with those books, you never see anyone who's all that high up the Regency hierarchy. There are no dukes in this book or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping it to the Jane Austen level of gentility and minor nobility. Um, when it comes to the magic, the way it's divided in Cat's world, Cat's version of England in 1803 is the first book. There are two different kinds of magic workers who have very different um, uh, levels of respect in the secret magical world. And there's witchcraft and there's guardian magic. And you can be a witch and be a man. You can be a guardian and be a woman. But there are certainly a lot of parallels to um, the kind of hierarchy and what's considered okay. Not, I, I'm, there's not a specific gender line that it's, that's drawn on, but I would say it, it plays with some of those tropes. Uh-huh. And and the uh, of course the gendering of the magic in the Harwood Spellbook series is rather flipped because. Well, but not, because I think there is this tendency in Regency fantasy for male magic to be the formal academic hierarchical magic and Mm. and women's magic to be the, uh, you know, the more ad hoc, messy, everyday magic. So to some extent, the Harvard Spellbook series has not flipped that aspect of it. No, well, it's, it was interesting to to think it all through. And of course, the heroine of Snowspell and Thornbound, um, Cassandra Harwood, she grew up with the perfect positioning to become one of the next great political leaders because her mother was a member of the Budapest. She's from this very old, powerful, established family. And to her, it seemed appalling. She just wanted to get into magic. She wanted, she, that was all she wanted. But of course, it, I think the first time I sent a draft to a friend, she's like, wait a second. If they let 
women do magic, does that mean men are going to take over the politics? <laughs> and you have to start thinking about this balance, you know, which is more important, and which, of course, everyone in the society will think of differently. And that's what leads to a lot of the tension in book two, uh-huh. as Cassandra's trying to do something to help out other women that's not going to completely screw over, <laughs> screw uh-huh. over all the would-be political women also, and, and also aim at possibly some breakdowns of the gender binary and, you know, aiming towards some long-term changes <laughs> that uh-huh. way. Now, you sent me another uh, short story with uh, an FF romance uh, that I think has more of a Victorian setting, the disastrous debut of Agatha Tremaine. But that, it it felt like, okay, I could be completely and utterly wrong here. It felt like maybe it was initial sketch of your your Harwood uh, um, world building, but it's clearly not. It's, you know, it has some of the same themes. (laughs) Um, Am I completely off the road? questions it's not related in any kind of direct way but it's definitely came from me posing the similar sorts of questions to myself as i was writing uh and this is another one it's it's another i'm not sure if secret history is the right phrase for it it's set in victorian england which is pretty much victorian england as we know it except so it's a much more it, yes, in this case, it's a, it's very much the Victorian England gender dynamic you would expect, uh-huh. um, unlike you know the other one. And, and um, so, magic is something which is supposed to be pushing forward the empire and used by men, and men are the only ones who are taught the spells to use it. So it, it's much more of the traditional uh-huh. kind of uh, of way of approaching it, as you've said. So, and uh, this is. So my heroine is someone who um, is fighting to be given her own independence magically as well as otherwise, and it, and also rethinking how much of this formal training is actually necessary, you know, if it's possible to re-envision magic and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and she, you know, literally bumps into uh, another young woman who is equally... <laughs> Um, at odds with her situation, and it's it's a very short story, but it's it's a it's a lovely little gem of a romance where the ro- the romance is is a very minor part of it, but it's it's still nice to see it mm-hmm. there. So yeah, well, it was funny because that one I was invited to to write a story for an anthology called Willful Impropriety by um, the Katerina Cidios, the editor, and. I had this opening of the short story, and I'd written that a while back. Yes, I thought, oh, well, this is this is my moment to figure out, you know, because I I'd started the opening and I wasn't sure exactly where it was set. I had some idea of the characters, but you know, I, I sort of set aside. And then I was asked to write a Victorian story. I was like, aha, this is it, you know. Um, finally, I, I know where it's set, and I got partway through, and I knew there was going to be a romance for Agatha, and I kept thinking, where is I don't. I'm not feeling any ideas. And then she bumps into the girl and Mm -hmm. they're both hiding from the ball. And I thought, aha, this is what actually deals with. This is what Ashley leaving, you know, for her. Uh So it sort of turned the whole story around, even though the romance is not the largest aspect of the story. Uh So let's, let's sort of, you know, step backwards a few steps. How did you get interested in writing historical fiction in the first place? I've always been a huge history geek. Um, in fact, one of my brothers still has vivid memories um, that he brings up every so often of me getting out of my chores by basically selling him 
stories from history. I would tell <laughs> I would tell him stories from history if he'd do my chores, and he did, which was amazing. Wow. <laughs> so I've always been a massive history geek, and I used to read up on British history for fun as a ridiculously young kid. Um, my mom gave me Jane Eyre when I was eight, which was the same year that my dad read me Pride and Prejudice. So <laughs> I'm very, very early. I was hooked on history as a setting. It's, you know, it's basically history fills, it satisfies a lot of the same itch as fantasy for me because uh-huh. it's, they're both set in a world that's not our own with some different rules and, it, 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 and uh, you get to sort of escape into a different place when you're reading about it. Mm-hmm. So... From the very beginning, I loved history. I loved escaping into it. And I also was a huge fantasy nut <laughs> because the other thing that I was introduced to as a kid, of course, is Lord of the Rings uh-huh. very early on. And, you know, it, and there on, you know, from Emma Bull and Patricia McKillop and all mm-hmm. these other fantasy authors. So it just made sense to fit them together. So. We mentioned earlier, you mentioned your book, Masks and Shadows, and you have sort of this, this it's not so much more adult, but a darker end of your, your range mm-hmm. of writing with that and Congress of Secrets. Um, and actually, <laughs> Masks and Shadows was, I think, the first book of yours that I read, and I totally fell in love with it. It's like, more and more, I want more like Thank this. You. Um, it's, it's, it's got these dark themes with, you know, an unhappy marriage and I think even domestic abuse, sinister plots, the struggles of single women to find a place in the world when they, when they aren't poor enough to work for a living. Um, and it's got yeah. this, this rather delightful queer love story between the heroine and a castrato opera star. Um, yes. and I, I that was new and different, <laughs> Um, but what I'm wondering is, uh, do you have anything else planned sort of in that that dark range? I know that, that Mask and Shadows and Congress of Secrets are not directly tied together, except that they are both roughly a similar time period and both in Central Europe rather than in, in the British Isles. Uh, so anything new expected in that, in that uh, flavor? Not at this moment. However, I'm definitely not ruling it out. I will say, so Masks and Shadows and Congress of Secrets are both published by Pyre Books, and I love my editor there, Rini Sears. And at one point, I think I had just sent her an email, and I said, what would you think about a whole, I think, well, it was going to be something set in London, (laughs) quite possibly with, a zombie handle, like the composer handle. <laughs> uh, huh. And um, and she wrote back and said, ooh, write me a proposal. And the next day, I sold the dragon with the chocolate heart. It was huh. the first in a new middle grade series. And that sort of had to take priority. And right now, I'm at a situation, a point in my life, where if I want to come up with a middle grade book and an adult book, each of them about once a year, then I have to I have to be a bit more careful with my word count. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's why I've been publishing uh, primarily novellas in the last couple of years. And so I have lately been feeling the end to write another really full-length adult historical. Um, and we'll see what happens with that. I, I would I would love to have the time to really sink into another one like that. Yeah, I know the the 
problem with being an actual professional, this is part of your major income writer, is that then you're kind of tied up in the whole issue of what sells well. I, I have yet to have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say there are a lot of different uh, elements in here, so I don't think I can say direct causation. I can point to any one thing <laughs> for this. Um, because, you know, for one thing, Masks and Shadows and Congress of Secrets, they were published by a sort of um, a small science fiction publisher who does really beautiful trade paperback books and quite expensive ebooks that don't go down in price. Mm -hmm. um, so as it happens, as it happens, I decided to self-publish the Harwood's Fall book series because they're novella length. Um, and it made more sense than trying to publish them traditionally because of the length. Uh, but I have made, a, they have made much more money for me than I, Mass and Shadows and Congress of Secrets put together. And I don't know which part to point at. I, when I look yeah. back at it, I'm like, well, is it because these are the light and frothy ones? Or is it because the ebooks are cheap? I, I, don't, I don't know which bit <laughs> to point at. Which is, so, is this saying something about what my audience wants? Or is this just saying something about, you know, what people are willing to spend on an ebook or so yeah. on. Yeah, it's hard to do controlled experiments. Absolutely. But yeah, since I do support myself on the writing, it's something I have to be aware of. I always try to write at least one passion project every year. And actually, Snowspelled was my passion project that year. I thought, I'm just going to write something, and it's going to be completely for me and fun. Um, it was right in the wake of the 2016 election, <laughs> so I was appalled by the world and that was how I came up with the Buddha kit which isn't a perfect system either but it was you know I, I was I was angry enough at that point that it was great to let it out in this world where of course women are the only ones who are hard-headed enough for politics and <laughs> of course men are far too emotional for etc so anyway Snowspelled was my passion project and then people really liked it which was made me incredibly happy but then it became a serious sort of a professional endeavor after all so if i was to write something very dark again that would have to be my passion project that year uh -huh. i think yeah so what projects are you working on now since uh, by the time this podcast comes out uh moon tangled will be out in the world um anything you can tell us about to look forward to well it's slightly up in the air only because I haven't decided which I'm going to let myself write next for my adult project. I'm not allowed to talk about my middle grade project okay. yet. I hope by the time this podcast comes out, I can, but I'm not going to make anyone angry at me by saying anything. Um, my plan, as I was writing Moon Tangled, was that the next thing I wrote would be the first novella in a new series called Queens of Villainy, which is basically a series of romantic comedy, fantasy romantic comedies about wicked queens. Oh. And... The only downside is that when I got to the end of Moon Tangled, there was another female character in there, and I, I fell for her sort of by accident. <laughs> so <laughs> I do think she may need her own story too, and I'm not. We're recording this in, in December first. Um, after I finish revising Moon Tangled, I'll have to make a tough decision about what I play with next. Yeah, it is. When when the when the characters come to you and they say, "But what about me? What about my story?" It's very hard to turn your back on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to turn them down. 
So if people wanted to follow you on social media, where should they look? Well, the first port of call is actually my website because there are excerpts there of every single book I've got out. And so it's a great place to try them out and see what fits your taste. So that's stephanieburgess.com. But I also spend far too much time on Twitter where I'm at Stephanie Burgess. And, and I'm also on Instagram at Stephanie Burgess in Wales. I also regularly review on Goodreads. You can look me up there, okay. although I tend to only rave there about the books I actually really like. I, <laughs> I read a lot of books I don't mention on Goodreads. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll include links to all of those in the show notes, as well as links to all of the books we talked about. Thank you so much for sharing your time with the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 